Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. One man car. My name is Jesse Romero. My uh, partner Paul Clay is doing out some doing some apostolic work out there. Just uh, want to remind you that the month of April is dedicated to both to the Holy Eucharist and devotion to the Holy Spirit. This tradition has developed because Easter Sunday often falls in April. <clears throat> April is the month of Easter, and during the Easter celebration, we also remember the Eucharistic sacrifice Christ gave us at the Last Supper. And also the gift of the Holy Spirit to make us fishers of men. We call this Pentecost, which came shortly after Jesus' resurrection. Today I want to talk about a very, very incredible saint. A lot of people don't know a lot about him. Saint Anthony Mary Claret. Then I also want to talk about what happens at the moment of the hour of our death. What does the church teach? But before I do so... Today's first reading is very powerful at Holy Mass. Let me read today's first reading. It's um, it's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and following. Today's first reading. The first Pope says, Clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud but bestows favor on the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your worries upon him because he cares for you. Be sober and vigilant. Your opponent, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Steadfast in faith, knowing that your brothers and sisters throughout the world undergo the same sufferings. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory through Christ Jesus will himself restore, confirm, that's what we got the sacrament of confirmation, confirm, confirm, strengthen, and establish you after you've suffered a little. To him be dominion forever. I write you this briefly through Sylvanus, whom I consider a faithful brother, exhorting you and testifying that this is the grace of God. Remain firm in it. The chosen one at Babylon, he's talking to Peter here. Babylon is Rome, code word for Rome. The chosen one at Babylon sends you a greeting. In other words, Peter from Rome is sending you a greeting. As does Mark, my son. Mark was St. Paul's sidekick, his disciple. Greet one another with a loving kiss. Peace to all of you who are in Christ, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's talk about this amazing saint. St. Anthony Mary Claret. Apostolic missionary, ultramontane champion, and crusher of communism. He's the founder of the Claritians. I know many Claritians. Uh, Many of them, unfortunately, have gone modernist. But St. Anthony Mary of Claret was one of the greatest saints the world has ever seen. He was an apostle par excellence. He preached and he prophesied everywhere he went. He zealously defended papal rights 
And he fought against the errors of his time, especially liberalism and communism. <clears throat> he did much. He, he did what Fulton Sheen would do 200 years later. Spoke out a lot against liberalism and communism. That's why Fulton Sheen has not been canonized. <clears throat> much can be said of St. Anthony Mary Claret. He was a visionary, a slave of Our Lady, an apostle, a counter-revolutionary, an ultra-montane, a prophet, a miracle worker, and the crusher of communism. He had foresight. He saw communism growing and rearing its ugly head. <clears throat> so let me summarize the life and the legend of St. Anthony Mary Claret. I'll give you a quick summary. His devotion to Our Lady, impeccable. St. Anthony was born in Salant Diocese of, uh, in, in Barcelona, province of Spain, on December 23rd, 1807. From a very young age, he had a great devotion to Our Lady. He later said he never tired of praying to her, knowing she always listened to her faithful sons. This great devotion would be a salvation. You'll find one of the characteristics of all the saints and the doctors of the church. All of them were devoted to Mary, extremely devoted to Our Lady. All of them were, were, uh, had a, uh, were, were centered, their lives were centered on Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. <clears throat> and you'll find today modernist priests, they have no devotion to Our Lady, little to no devotion to Our Lady. I've heard modernist priests scoff at praying the rosary. And modernist priests also, they don't believe in the real presence. You can tell by the laxity, the way they serve at Holy Mass. You know, the laxity of a priest at Holy Mass tells you everything you need to know whether they believe in the real presence or not. But... Growing up, St. Anthony was very involved in his father's weaving business. He decided to go to Barcelona, Spain to study and master the craft, which he was very talented in it. Once in Barcelona, St. Anthony focused on weaving. He'd go to Mass on Sundays and feast days, but spent the rest of his time and energy on weaving. <clears throat> Thus, he neglected his priestly vocation, which he perceived at a young age. St. Anthony had a near-death experience. One day... While waiting in the sea, St. Anthony was dragged by a huge wave that pulled him out into the deep. Since he could not swim, he called upon the Blessed Virgin to save him. He soon found himself on the shore. He was shocked. He was semi-conscious. And when he recovered, he realized that he had almost died. And then... He contemplated the state of his life and his vocation. He decided to change his ways and end his mediocre life by entering the diocesan seminary to pursue his priestly vocation. At the seminary, St. Anthony Mary Claret, he came upon the book True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. And St. Anthony consecrated himself as a slave to our lady 
After being ordained a priest, he felt called to missionary work. He profited from St. Ignatius of Loyola's spiritual exercises, and he adopted the Jesuit missionary spirit. In 1849, Anthony Mary of Claret founded the Congregation of the Missionary Sons of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which sought to imitate Jesus Christ in working, suffering, and always seeking only the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls. Pope Blessed Pius IX approved the congregation in 1865, and shortly after founding his congregation, Anthony Mary Claret, Father Anthony Mary Claret, was appointed Archbishop of Santiago de Cuba at the request of Queen Isabella II of Spain. During his time in office, he reorganized the Santiago Seminary and restored clerical discipline. In his first two years alone, he validated, get this, over 9,000 irregular marriages. <clears throat> he visited his entire diocese three times, preaching and distributing the sacraments while erecting a hospital and many vocational schools for young people. He especially powerful, his exceptional or his exceptionally powerful voice attracted multitudes. Churches and sometimes even city squares could not contain those who came to see him. People were captivated by his holiness. Many people would follow the saint to the next city where its inhabitants would go out upon the road to meet and welcome St. Anthony Mary of Claret, the man of God. <clears throat> the saint immediately set to work, barely eating and only sleeping two hours a day. He embraced a life of mortification and penance. St. Anthony Mary Claret was a prophet and an exorcist. Yep. St. <clears throat> Anthony was well known for his prophecies and exorcisms. He predicted an earthquake or a plague that threatened the city, announcing it as a chastisement from God. He would admonish the people to convert from their perverted ways, much like Jonah to Nineveh. He also predicted the deaths of people, <coughs> just like Fulton Sheen predicted the death of Hitler and Stalin. Once, for example, <coughs> St. Anthony Mary Claret addressed some, some woman saying, you women, you think that you still have a long time to live, but you're mistaken. You will die in six months. St. <clears throat> Anthony Mary Claret would exercise demons for the crowd saying, <clears throat> let me get a little, little drink here. <clears throat> yeah. St. Anthony Mary Claret would expel the devil, would expel demons from crowds of people. Here's what he said in his own words, quote, I will expel the devil that, ho that hovers over this audience. Following these statements, <clears throat> the multitude would see and hear many strange voices and phenomena. At one point, the devil wound wounded his side so badly that his ribs were exposed. He prayed to Our Lady and was, and was miraculously cured. Jesus 911, talking about St. Anthony Mary Claret. What an incredible saint. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. Profiling a great saint. Uh, in recent times, St. Anthony Mary of Claret. I know a lot of Claretian priests, <clears throat> and uh, their founder was amazing. A lot of our Claritian priests have to get on board and have to embrace a life of mortification and penance that their founder embraced. <clears throat> St. Anthony, <clears throat> once again, like I was saying, he would exercise demons from entire crowds. This is what he said one day, quote, I will expel the devil that hovers over this audience, close quote. Following these statements, the multitude would see and hear many strange noises and phenomena. At one point, a devil wounded his side so badly, St. Anthony, that his ribs were exposed. The saint also worked many miracles and had numerous visions. Witnesses saw St. Anthony Mary of Claret's body became transfigured while praying or preaching. He would levitate off the ground. He would stop earthquakes and storms by praying. And he was even seen walking on water. While celebrating Mass, a supernatural light would radiate from his body. Queen Isabella wrote a statement declaring that she had personally witnessed the miracle of this light that radiated from St. Anthony Mary of Claret's body during Holy Mass. St. Anthony also had visions of both our Lord and Our Lady. The most important vision was when our Lord <clears throat> told St. Anthony of three great evils then that were falling upon mankind. Here's what our Lord told St. Anthony, our Lord and Our Lady. Number one, that there would be a series of enormous horrifying wars. <laughs> 200 years later, the 20th century has had more wars than any other century combined, than all the other centuries combined. Number two, second message from our Lord and Our Lady. <clears throat> Number two, the four power, powerful demons of pleasure, love of money, false reasoning, and a will separated from God. Wow. The demon of false reasoning and the demon of a will separated from God. Very interesting. Sounds to me like the transgender movement. False reasoning and a will separated from God. Our, the third thing our Lord and Our Lady told St. Anthony Mary of Claret, our Lord told the saint that communism would be the great foe of humanity and that devotion to the blessed, to the blessed sacrament and the rosary were the means to fight it. <laughs> There were also attempts on his life, by the way. St. Anthony also fought against Freemasonry. <laughs> his opposition to the, to the Freemasons led to at least 15 assassination attempts on his life <clears throat> to prevent potential assassins from attacking him when, he, when pressed by crowds. The people devised a wooden frame in which he, he walked to keep anyone from getting close. One time, someone associated with Freemasonry stabbed his cheek. The person was, captu was captured and sentenced to prison. Another time, a person hired by Freemasonry was sent to kill St. Anthony. The assassin entered the church where St. Anthony was preaching. Upon, upon getting close to the saint, the assassin heard St. Anthony state that people would be sent to kill him. <clears throat> the words awakened sentiments of guilt, and the assassin converted. After the sermon... The would-be assassin told the, told the saint of the plot, and he asked for pardon. Saint Anthony then pardoned the men and helped them escape Freemasonry, who were plotting to kill him for his failure. 
Because of the many assassination attempts on St. Anthony, he was transferred to Spain to be the confessor of the queen. St. Anthony became the royal confessor to the Spanish crown. When St. Anthony arrived in 1857, he found that the queen was a liberal. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. However, through St. Anthony's intercession and counseling, the queen became very anti-liberal. For nine years, St. Anthony was a rector of the Escorial Monastic School, and whenever the opportunity arose, he would go out and preach to the people. St. Anthony was an ultramontane champion. In 1869, he went to Rome to prepare for the First Vatican Council. He was an enthusiastic supporter of the ultramontane movement and always fought for the rights of the papacy, including papal infallibility and primacy. Thus he said, the dogmatic declaration of the infallibility of the Supreme Pontiff is extremely necessary in the church. It is a matter that is feared very much by evil men. For this, they have done all the efforts possible so that it is not declared. Hopefully, in the confession of this truth, St. Anthony said, I could shed all my blood. Hopefully, I could consummate my career confessing and saying from the abundance of my heart this great truth. I believe that the Supreme Pontiff is infallible. St. Anthony loved these principles so much that during the council, upon hearing anti-papal arguments, he became full of indignation and suffered a stroke. He never recovered from its effects and died some months later. St. Anthony's death and canonization, he died on October 24, 1870, at the age of 62. He was canonized on May 7, 1950, by Pope Pius XII. In 1897, his relics were transferred to Vic, Spain, where his, fa- where his heart was found incorrupt. <clears throat> Let's call upon the intercession of this great saint to obtain for us the grace to fight against communism and all modern errors. St. Anthony Mary Claret, pray for us. <clears throat> and here's also a prayer that I pray every day in the, as part of my morning prayers. I pray it three times. Uh, praying against communism. It goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, by the love you bear us, cause the light of your holy face to shine, up, to shine upon us always. Lord Jesus Christ, by the love you bear us, cause the light of your holy face to shine upon us always. Lord Jesus Christ, by the love you bear us, cause the light of your holy face to shine upon us always. <clears throat> St. Anthony Mary Claret, pray for us. Just a reminder, I'm going to the Holy Land October 6th to the 16th. If I'm going with Father Dave Nix, if you'd like to come to the Holy Land with myself and Father Dave Nix and my pastor, Father Craig Friedley, retired military major, uh, go to my website. The flyer to the trip to Israel, the nine-day trip, is right there posted on my website, jesseromero.com. I would love to hang out with you and evangelize along with you for nine days. Can you imagine hanging out together for nine days in the Holy Land? Go to my website. The flyer is in the front page. Just all you've got to do is uh, click on the link and uh, sign up. Come on, sign up. I also want to remind you of what's going on this weekend in Boston. 
In Boston, Massachusetts, the Satanic Conference is coming to Boston this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, April 28th, 29th, and 30th. The theme is, uh, the theme of this, by the way, it's sold out. The tickets for the Satan kind have been sold out for weeks. <clears throat> if you want to help out in prayers of reparation, contact my friend, Kenneth Murphy, he's a lay leader. Contact my friend. Go to bostonreparation at gmail.com. Bostonreparation at gmail.com. Bostonreparation at gmail.com. Let's go, Catholics. The Satanic Conference is going to be discussing Satanic rituals. They're going to be having a Satanic wedding. They're going to have a Satanic marketplace where you can buy uh, Satanic anti-sacramentals the Satanists are completely out of the closet and they're on the offense and they're on the attack and most Catholics including a lot of our bishops are yawning they're asleep on duty instead of being you know those watchmen in the walls of Jerusalem warning about the approaching enemy so contact my friend Kenneth Murphy who's a point man he's a tip of the spear his uh, <clears throat> email is bostonreparation at gmail.com, bostonreparation at gmail.com. Now, here's what I don't get is that <clears throat> Cardinal O'Malley has let the people in Boston, Massachusetts, in his diocese, he doesn't want people to go out there <clears throat> and uh, what he calls a protest. It's not a protest. They are public prayers of reparation. Uh, because the blasphemies are being committed in, uh, against the name of Jesus and Mary. And so it's not a protest. It's a public prayer rally of reparation. But I'll use Cardinal O'Malley's name. He calls it a protest. So Cardinal O'Malley said he doesn't want any Catholics to go out there this weekend and protest. But what is interesting <clears throat> is that Cardinal O'Malley, he did encourage Catholics to protest along with Black Lives Matter, with Black Lives Matter, after the death of George, of George Floyd. So I'm scratching my head here. Cardinal Sean Patrick O'Malley encouraged the Catholics in his diocese to protest with Black Lives Matter after the death of George Floyd. But he doesn't want Catholics to go and pray prayers of reparation at, in front of the Satanic Conference. Uh, again, so or, or, if I was living in Boston, Massachusetts and Cardinal O'Malley, he's telling all the lay Catholics to go and, and protest along with Black Lives Matter uh, uh, after the death of George Floyd, would I have gone? No, no. Why not? Because that's a prudential judgment by a bishop. Bishops, when they make prudential judgments, you as a Catholic, you have to evaluate the situation and you have to use, you have to discern if uh, if you're called to do that, every Catholic cannot be forced to do something when it when it, when it, when it comes to the public square. When it comes to doing something out into the breach in the public square, Catholics can disagree with our bishops and our priests when it comes to the matters of prudential judgment. The key difference is over the practicalities of the application of a moral principle, not the moral principle itself. I'm sure Cardinal O'Malley doesn't agree with the Temple of Satan. Uh, and so it's the application. Uh, 
of the moral principle. And so the application of the moral principle is, do I stay at, at home and pray? Or do I go into a Catholic church and pray? Or do I go out in public and pray in front of the Satanic Conference? Again, good Catholics are free to choose where they want to pray this weekend on those three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But prayer is something that we must all do. Uh, whether you're at home for three hours or in those three days praying or inside the church or on the sidewalk, all of us must unite in prayer. Let every man decide his course of action based on his moral conscience and don't look down on anyone based on their decision. Remember, we have freedom in Christ. But I will tell you, uh, Carl O'Malley, who told the Catholics to go protest with Black Lives Matter, I would not have gone. I would not have listened. That's his opinion. And uh, he's entitled to his opinion, and that's a prudential judgment on his part. I would not have gone. This weekend, if I lived anywhere near Boston, Massachusetts, if I wasn't speaking in Long Beach, California, I'd be with all my fellow Bostonian, Massachusetts Catholics. I'd be right there with you on the side with with my rosary in one hand, with Jesus in my heart. Okay, next I want to talk about what happens at the hour of death. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. In her city of God, Venerable Mary of Agreda, a 17th century conceptionist nun and mystic, to whom the Blessed Mother dictated her life, She writes of a marvelous event in the early Christian church. She talks about at the hour of our death. So, Venerable Mary of Agreda says that after the Holy Ghost had descended in the form of fiery tongues on the apostles on Pentecost Day, St. Peter stepped out before a crowd and and spoke with so much fire, unction, and wisdom that 5,000 at once asked for holy baptism. In that crowd was a poor young woman listening with all her soul. Her name was Lillian. Lillian was poor and humble and busied herself with all her household chores. A short time after that great day, when she had heard St. Peter preach, Lillian fell ill. Her malady worsened and soon exhausted and weakened, she took to her bed. The devil, who was a very big coward, had been watching Lillian very closely. Ha ha, he thought. Now that she is so weak and sickly, I may prompt her to sin, even steal her new faith from her. You see, my friends, the devil is very resentful of all who possess our holy Catholic faith, for that faith gives them the means to reach heaven and see the good God. This the devil will never be able to do. In her weakened state, the poor girl did consent to a few sins. Now, we all know that we commit sins, but that when we commit sins, we become weaker, making it easier for the devil to tempt us even more. So the devil now took on the appearance of a woman approached Lillian's sickbed and began to talk to her about the new church that had just been founded. 
you know, said the woman, who was really the devil. The devil said, quote, you shouldn't listen. You shouldn't listen to what those disciples of that man who just died on a cross have to say. They're deceiving you. All those things they're telling you are lies. You should stay away from them. If you don't, <coughs> the same priests and judges who crucified their teacher will punish you. Close quote. On and on went the devil spinning his tail until the young girl was nearly convinced that she should give up her newly acquired faith. Still, she asked, what about that lady whom I have seen with the Christians and who was so beautiful, so good, so kind and patient? Oh, replied the devil, wouldn't you know, she's the worst of them all. Don't be deceived by her looks and her supposed kindness and patience. Hearing all of this, Lillian believed the fiend and gave up her faith. At the same time, her health failed once and for all, and she was soon at death's door. Hearing of her condition from a neighbor, one of the 72 disciples of our Lord Jesus visited her. Finding her so very sick, he tried to talk to her and help, help prepare her for the approaching end, but she would not listen to him. The more he tried to talk, the more he stopped her ears, the more she stopped her ears and asked him to leave her house. Realizing that the girl was in great danger, the disciple immediately looked for the Apostle John to tell him about Lillian's plight. St. John quickly made his way to the girl's house and on entering, beheld the poor creature lying on her bed, surrounded by legions of demons. Wow. On seeing St. John, the demons retired, but still there was nothing the Apostle could do to convince Lillian to return to her faith. The girl could not be reached. As soon as St. John left, all of the devils came right back, tormenting the poor girl and making sure that she remained in their clutches. Very worried, St. John lost no time in visiting the Blessed Virgin, who was then living in Jerusalem, to tell, of her, to tell her of Lillian and her great danger. Our Lady was much concerned and immensely sorry for this simple soul whom the devil was trying to snatch from her son. Now, our great lady had, among all her gifts, the ability to see with the eyes of her soul all that had happened with her son's church. Gazing with these interior eyes, she could see the poor young girl in her bed suffering terribly, suffering terribly, and surrounded by hideous demons. <clears throat> Retiring to her chamber, she prostrated on the floor and begged God to save that tormented soul. After having prayed, the holy lady called one of the angels that always accompanies her and bade him to go to the young girl to try his mightiest to return her to her senses. The angel obeyed immediately and was soon back. My lady, I returned from the task of asking, assisting this, this girl in her mortal danger as thou mother of mercy had commanded me. Alas, so hard is her heart that she will not listen to me. I have fought against the demons, but they resisted, saying that by right, this soul belongs to them because she gave herself to them willingly. God has not enabled me to fulfill thy will. I am sorry, my lady, but I cannot give thee this consolation. The loving mother was quite saddened at this news, but being truly our mother, she would not give up on this poor girl. Once more, with her face to the ground, she beseeched God our Lord to deliver this poor soul from the devil's clutches. Our Lord, however, seemed not to hear her, 
Sometimes he did this only to hear his sweet mother's voice calling to him longer. Besides, he was sure she would do the right thing. Even though her son said nothing from heaven, the blessed lady knew that she had to help. Whenever a charitable act had to be done, no one was as eager as the Blessed Virgin, our mother, to accomplish it. Turning to St. John, she said, Come with me, my son. I myself am going to help this young dove who's so deceived. Closing the door of the cynical behind them, they made their way to the girl's house, which was not far from there. As soon as they had gone but a few paces, several angels appeared before them and blocked their progress. The Holy Mother asked them why they did this, and they answered, There's no reason that we should allow you to walk, my lady, when we can carry you. Saying this, they made a throne of shining clouds, and seating the great lady upon it, they carried her right to Lillian's bedside. Wow, that is absolutely powerful. And we see, lo, as soon as the blessed lady appeared in the room, the devils made such haste to leave that they, that they tripped over each other in their flight. The powerful queen commanded them to return to hell and remain there until she gave them permission to come out. So ordered, they could do nothing but give in to her command. The kindest of mothers then approached the girl and taking her hand and calling her by name, spoke to her the sweetest words of life. Immediately, the girl felt better and refreshed. My lady, the girl said, a woman came to me and told me that the disciples were deceiving me and that I had better separate myself from them and from thee. She said that if I accepted their way of life, great misfortune would befall me. <clears throat> the queen of heaven answered, my, my daughter, she who seemed to you a woman was your enemy, the devil. <clears throat> I come in the name of the most high to give you eternal life. Return then to, this true, to his true faith and confess him with all your heart as your God and Redeemer. Adore him and ask him to forgive you your sins. All this, the girl answered, I believed before, but the woman told me it was all very bad and that they would punish me if I should ever confess it. The heavenly teacher replied, My daughter, do not fear this deceit. Remember that the only punishments to be really feared are those in hell, to which the demon wants to take you. The poor girl was soon crying and most sorry for what she had done. She begged the good lady to continue to help her and to bring her back to church. The Blessed Mother then sent for St. John to administer the sacraments to the dying girl, repeating the acts of contrition and love and invoking Jesus and Mary. The girl died happily in the arms of the good mother. As if not enough, Our Lady with her prayers made up, made up for the girl's time in purgatory and summoning one of the, her angels, bid him deliver the purified soul to heaven. So when saying the Hail Mary, may we stress, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So this story shows that not only does the Blessed Virgin Mary intercede for us Right now, when we're dying, and uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori, many other doctors of the church, the Council of Trent, says that Mary rushes to our bedside when we are dying. So she does that now. But what's interesting is that Venerable Mary of Agreda said that she was doing this back when she was alive. This is a story when the Blessed Virgin Mary was still here on planet Earth, 
and a young woman named Lillian was dying. She went to visit this young woman, Lillian, who was being deceived by the devil and being tormented by the devil on her bedside. Mary went and all the demons fled. The same thing happens today. I know countless stories of people who said that they saw demons. They were seeing demons as they were dying and people uh, you know, surrounded the beds, the bedroom, started praying the rosary. Uh, the person that was dying grabbed the rosary, began praying the rosary, and they saw the demons flee. I've heard of dozens, I know dozens of people that this has happened to. As they're dying, they've claimed that there are demons around their bedside in their bedroom. And they picked up the rosary and started praying in faith. And the demons left. And they saw the demons leave oh, through the roof, down the floor, through the walls, left. When the name of Mary is being invoked. And so. <clears throat> we know that the Bible tells us. That these these demons. They're called principalities and powers of darkness. Which are in high places. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. And they're under the direction of Satan. And. But remember this. Even Satan has to ask God permission. Remember the book of Job. Chapter 1, God has dominion over all the fallen angels, all the demons. Even the demon has to ask God permission to tempt us. You're listening to Jesus 911. My name is Jess Romero. Up next, I'm going to be talking about that moment of death. The moment of final decision. We'll be right back. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. Think about this. 100% of us are going to die. That's a fact. There's a common saying that we will always be remembered by the way we ended. And so... It will be with the state of our soul at the end of our life. Our soul will be likened to the making of pottery. When a clay pot is still moist, it can be shaped, molded, and modified. However, when the clay pot gets put into the heat of the fire, it becomes hardened and that clay pot will remain in that shape forever. There will be no turning back or no more time to change. And so it will be at our judgment. Our soul will be fixed when we die. Our soul will either be in a state of sanctifying grace or in a state of mortal sin. Our soul will be fixed and remain in that state forever. The person who fails to prepare prepares to fail. If we die before the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will be buried in the ground. On every tombstone, there are two dates. The day we were born and the day we will die. Then there's a dash in between those two dates. That dash will represent every single choice we have made in our life, either for God or against God. 
May that dash have everything to do with fulfilling the purpose of our existence, which is knowing, loving, and serving God in this lifetime and spending all eternity with Him in heaven. Our life on earth resembles a football game. You guys will like this. We're playing against a powerful team, which is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The football field is the entire earth. Our goal is mainly to the right, heaven. The opposite goal is mainly to the left, hell. The kickoff, the kickoff is when we're about seven, seven years old. That's when we begin, that's when we begin to know the difference between the two goals. That's when we begin to gain or lose yardage. The football is sanctifying grace. Every time, every time we do good, we gain yardage. Every time we commit sin, we lose yardage. When we commit a mortal sin, we lose the ball and the other team takes over. By making a good confession, we regain the ball. The sacraments refresh us during the game. They help us gain yardage. We play only one game. However, it lasts a lifetime. There is no clock to tell us how much time we have left. Death will mark the end of the game. There is no chance of tie score. Mm Mm-mm. There is no chance of a tie score. We either win or lose. If we win, we will win forever. The whole court of heaven will rush to congratulate us. Our reward will be so great that no one has ever seen, heard, or conceived of anything equal to it. Anything. However, If we lose the game, we lose forever. There are, there are no do-overs. It's one and done. Life is one and done. You're on stage right now. Performing before all of heaven. All of hell will be loosed and all the evil spirits will rush us to thrust us into the abode of the damned souls if you die in mortal sin. It's that simple. If you die... In mortal sin, all of hell will be loosed and all the evil spirits will rush the soul to thrust us into the abode of the damned souls. The pain of loss will be immeasurable and everlasting and our name will be inscribed in the hall of shame forever. Therefore, play the game. Be alert. Be sober. Play hard. 
Pray hard. Play with confidence. And get holier, die trying. I call this. I call this. Smash mouth Catholicism. That's what we need. Smash mouth. Catholicism. So what is the good news? What is the good news? Every one of us is going to die. We're born into a fallen world destined destined for damnation. That man... That man does not have to suffer an eternity without God because God himself has provided himself as a savior. That's the good news. That's the good news. That man does not have to suffer an eternity without God because God himself has provided himself as the savior. The good news is that the son of God came down from heaven and injected himself into human space and history and time and opened up an emergency escape hatch for us. We have a way out of eternal damnation. We have a savior who can bring us salvation. Those who abide in him are saved. Those who do not are damned. It's that simple. Those who do not abide in him are damned. The heart of the good news is salvation can be had by each person. But. While God loves us unconditionally, which means anyone can be saved, he does not save unconditionally. It requires cooperation from us. And that means turning away from sin, all sin, and receive. And receiving that sanctifying grace. And receiving that sanctifying grace. That makes us grow in holiness and gives us the strength to make it through this valley of tears. That is the good news. We do not grieve like non-believers who have no hope during a funeral. When somebody dies in a state of grace and you know it. We don't lose that person at the moment of death. We actually lost our dead relatives who died in a state of grace. We lost them when they entered the church at the day of their baptism. Because from that day on, they belonged to God. Psalm 22, 11 says, To you I was committed from my birth, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Close quote. Every one of us died with Christ at baptism. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not suffer for us so that we don't have to. He suffered for us to teach us how to. You are a good disciple. Be a good disciple. Learn your lesson well. St. Augustine said, if you pray well, you will live well. If you live well, you will die well. If you die well, all will be well. Close quote. Here's what my my wife, she uh, eulogized my father-in-law, her father-in-law, my dad, when he died uh, about 10 years ago. Anita, she said this in the eulogy. She said, she quoted St. Augustine. She told 
everybody there. If you pray well, you will live well. If you live well, you will die well. If you die well, all will be well. Then my wife Anita said, You are now well, my father-in-law, in the land of the living. You were the best father-in-law one could ask for. You were a righteous man of great faith, a great example to my husband and children. Isaiah chapter 3 verse 10 says, Tell righteous that it shall be well with them. Close comb. My wife said to my, her father-in-law, my dad, Death carried you home to the presence of God where you truly belong. <clears throat> so it is with Christians who face death. The devil will come to tempt every single one of us. But our guardian angels, if you're in a state of grace, your guardian angels will come to strengthen you as well. Your patron saints and your protectors will come also, as well as St. Michael the Archangel, whom God has appointed as a defender of his faithful servants at the time of their death. And if you're in a state of grace and devoted to Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary will also come to protect her children who so often pray to her for help now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Here's a few words to remember at the moment of your death in order to save your soul. Psalm 31 verse 5. Into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit. Luke 23 46. Once again, the words of our Lord as he was dying. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Luke 23 42. Saint Dismas, the thief to the right of our Lord, said, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Saint Stephen the martyr, the first Christian that was killed in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, Saint Stephen said, Lord, receive my spirit. Prayer of resignation in death. My most sweet Jesus, I accept the death that thou was destined for me with all the pains that may accompany it. I unite it to thy death. I offer it to thee. Thou hast died for love of me. I will die for love of thee and to please thee. Amen. That's a wrap. Jesus 911. Up next, you'll hear more from Gary Machuda coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. Hands on apologetics. As for me, I'm out. End of watch. Remember, every single person in every nation that has ever existed and that ever shall exist must pass away. Yesterday's history, tomorrow's the mystery. Today's a gift. That's why it's called the present. God bless you. Keep the faith.